You're listening to Lillardale Adventist Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Rosemary Andrikanis shares what lessons God highlights through Abraham about patience. Does anyone love summer? Some people are generally summer or winter people. I'm generally a, a winter person, but I do like summer because of the long days, you've got daylight savings and you can do things up until 8.30 p.m. And the long, like last night, the balmy nights that we have. And a couple of weeks ago, it was one of those perfect summer afternoons where, or I would say spring afternoons, where it wasn't too hot, wasn't too cold, there was no wind. It was just one of those beautiful days. And because it was such a beautiful day, I decided to go longboarding. And I decided to bring my longboard in because I told a few people and they said, Rose, we don't believe you. Well, believe me, I have a longboard because longboards are the summer version of snowboards. And I do enjoy going down gentle slopes, nothing too steep. And I actually have a group of people that I go skating with. We have our little skating crew. But on this particular day when I decided to go skating, none of my skating crew was available. But because it was such a nice day, I decided that I was going to go by myself. And this is my board. This is what is called a Loaded Flex 2. And it has orangutan wheels. For those of you that are in the longboard community, you would know what that means. Um, But yeah, it's a great board. And at the time of buying it, it was probably one of the best boards that you could actually get. So good, in fact, that it was far above my skill set and abilities. But I thought, you know, one day, perhaps I'll buy it, and then one day I'll be able to do what those people do on YouTube. Um, But because it is so good, it is a really great board, and far above my ability levels, when I go with my skating crew, I generally swap boards with them because they have slower, chunkier, more beginner boards, and this one is a very far advanced board. So we generally go, we generally swap boards, but because on this particular day no one was available, I had to use, or I had the option of using my board, or my sister has a board, and I keep her board in the boot of my car as well, and her board isn't as good as this one, and so I thought just to be safe because this one goes very, very fast, I'll use my sister's slower board. And so I decided to go out and trying to be safe, I used her board, and I went down, down in Churnside Park, there's a little new estate which is being built, and it has some nice, quiet roads, and so I did a few laps on the straight before deciding to tackle one of the gentler downhill slopes, which I have done many times before. And so I went off, and I started picking up a little bit of speed, and it's kind of fun, it's you have the, hair, the wind rushing through your hair. It's that little bit exhilarating when you see things flying past you. And it was fun up until the point when my board started wobbling. I started getting speed wobbles. And at that point, I thought, hold on, I'm going, probab- I'm going way too fast. And normally when I'm going too fast, I have some options. And in this particular area, which I was familiar with, I knew that I could either turn off in one of the, into one of the side streets That was actually my only option. But as I'm going past, as I'm zooming past these side streets, I realize that because it is a construction area, there are a lot of rocks and pebbles everywhere. And so I didn't think turning into one of them at high speed would be very wise. And so in a split second decision, I decided that I needed to get off my board because this slope kept going and going and I would get even more speed wobbles if I kept kept going. So I decided in a split second that I was going to make a calculated dismount of this board. 
And so I'm going down and I decide to leap off. And as I've leapt off, I've taken a few steps going with the momentum and I've just smashed. I've smashed into, into the gravel, which wasn't very fun. <laughs> That's just one of the injuries I had on my elbow. I had a knee injury and my hand had slid on and I had um, a, a very open, very raw red, red wound on my hand. And I hobbled back to the car and it's awkward getting hurt when you're an adult because you don't know what to do. I think as a child, I used to cry. I mean, it did hurt. So I was kind of thinking, should I be crying right now? What's the appropriate thing to do as an adult getting hurt? And so I went back home and I, I couldn't even remember the last time I got hurt. So I just started, I got the tap and started washing my hands and I had some you know, basic band-aids and I put the band-aids over it. And because I couldn't go longboarding anymore, but it was such a nice day, I decided to go hiking. So I went for a hike up in, in the Dandenongs <laughs> with, with all of my wounds. But that evening, I had dinner um, with one of my friends who was a nurse. And so we're sitting at dinner, and she could see in between the band-aids just how bad it looked. And she's like, Rose, like, have you cleaned them properly? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I put them under water. And she's like, no, come back to my house and we'll clean them. And because she was a nurse, her mum is her nurse and her cousin is a nurse. And all three of them were at her house that night. And um, so they looked at it and um, her mum came over and she thought it looked pretty bad. So she got some alcohol and some hydrogen peroxide and just to clean the bacteria away. And let me tell you, it was not fun. I do not recommend it. It stung, it stung, it stung. But I was kind of thankful because at least, at least it's getting fixed. Um, but the following day, it still looked pretty bad. So I did decide to go to the doctor who looked at the different places where I was injured. And he's like, yeah, you're going to need a tetanus shot and um, we're going to have to clean them properly, which involved scraping even more of the skin away. So it was just really not a fun experience. And although it wasn't a fun experience, I've had three weeks to reflect on what has happened since, and I've learnt many lessons from this skateboard sesh. So many, in fact, that I reckon I could probably do a whole series on what I've learnt from skateboarding. But because this is my final sermon here, we're not going to have time to do that. But these are some of the lessons that I learnt. Um, number one is that avoidance doesn't work. I tried to avoid and not look at the injuries that I had, but avoiding them wouldn't have solved the problem in any sense. Avoiding is a good short-term strategy to not deal with whatever you have to deal with, but it's the best long-term strategy to ensure suffering. Because if I didn't get them cleaned, they probably would have got infected. The second lesson I learned was to get help. I had to actually go externally to nurses and to doctors in order for them to help me. I wanted to try and fix it myself, but by trying to fix it myself was just simply a Band-Aid solution and it didn't address the problem. And the final thing I learned, or one of the many things I learned, was patience. I wanted to keep doing things and I wanted to not let my injuries stop me, but my wounds, they required patience because I needed time to let them heal. And this is what we're going to be exploring today. We're going to be exploring patience. I don't know if anyone here likes waiting. I'm not one of those people that are too fond of waiting. And since getting these injuries, I've had to visit the doctors several times. And do you know what they have at the doctors? They have a designated room called the waiting room. 
And it's a place where you wait until the doctor comes, until your appointment comes up so you can see your doctor. And it's a chance to catch up on magazines from 1999 or 2002. It's, 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 a, it's a place where you wait. And I've also, you might be familiar with waiting in rush hour traffic when you're trying to get into the city or out of the city during peak hour and you have to wait and wait and it just seems like it's going on forever. I'm, not, I'm sure there's very few of us that like waiting or we get frustrated when there's some sort of delay. As I researched this topic and what the Bible says about this topic, I found something very interesting. I found that God likes waiting. Here are some verses for you. Lamentations 3, verses 25 to 26. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Psalms 27, verse 14. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. This is a command to wait. It's not saying perhaps you might want to wait on the Lord, if you can wait on the Lord. It's saying wait on the Lord. And I know some of us are challenged with waiting. Are you waiting for something right now? Some people are waiting for their studies to finish because when their studies finish, they can get that full-time work. Other people have finished their studies and are currently looking for full-time work, wondering when, when is it going to happen? When, when, Lord, I'm waiting. Other people are waiting for that right job opportunity to show itself. Some people are waiting for clarity on the future. What's going to happen? When is it going to happen? How am I going to know what to choose when given the option. Some people are waiting for wounds to heal. Perhaps they're physical wounds, or maybe they're emotional wounds. When will I get that healing that I'm desperately needing? As we go through the Bible, we find that God does ask us to wait. In fact, in many stories found in the Bible, we find that they center around this theme of waiting. The reason why we wait is because God has given us a promise. We wait because he has something better for us. Abraham was someone who waited patiently. God gave him a promise when he was 75 years old. When he was 75 years old, maybe that's the age of some of your grandparents or your parents or yourselves, 75 years old. Let's open our Bibles to Genesis 2 verses 1 to 3. Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3. And although I will have this up on the screen, I'd like you to open your Bibles or to see it hard copy, because we're going to be having a look at a few different things. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. And this is what God promises Abram, or Abraham, Abraham at this time. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Imagine what was going through his mind. He's 75 years old at this time. 
His wife is 65 years old. Up until this point, they had never had a child. And God is telling him, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will give you descendants. But ten year, five years has passed. There's still nothing. Ten years has passed. There's still no sign of this promise. As time goes on, Abraham still realized that he didn't have any children with his wife. Was God still going to remain faithful to the promise that he gave him? We read on Genesis 15, verses 2 to 4. So flip over to Genesis 15, because this, this is where we're going to dig into some good stuff. Genesis 15, verses 2 to 4. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, none born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Perhaps frustrated, Abraham tries to make his trusty servant Eliezer, his son by adoption, the inheritor of his possessions. Have you ever got frustrated with waiting for something before? God's promised him something and he still, after all these years, hasn't seen any of those promises come to fruition. He doubts. Maybe he asks himself, was he right to be trusting God? Or was he wrong to trust God? And although Abraham becomes impatient, God remains patient with him. God assures him that a child of his own was to be his heir. But really, will you be faithful, God? And as they're having this dialogue together, God decides to take him out, outside. And he says, as we look down in Genesis 15, verse 5, then he brought him outside and said, "Look Now look toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Have you tried counting stars before? It's really easy at my mum's house. She lives down in the inner city. When you look up and count the stars, you might get three, four. It's easy to count the stars. When you come out here to Lilydale, it's a little bit more challenging, but it's still doable. You might see 30 or 40 stars or slightly more as your eyes start adjusting. But have you ever been out camping in some, somewhere rural where it's just the sky is painted in a landscape of, of stars everywhere? This happened, I was in Lake Eyre at my previous job. We were doing some field work and we were out pretty much in the middle of nowhere. And we were at least three to 400 kilometers away from any small town. And I kid you not, the sky was just splattered in stars everywhere. Like everywhere your eye could see, all you could see was stars. And it was amazing. And you know, back in Abraham's day, this is what you kind of picture. They didn't have much light pollution or you, you don't, we wouldn't think that they would have. And so this is what we picture, it, that it would be hard to find a spot not covered in stars. And this is what we sometimes picture God showing Abraham. And when we read this, we assume that God hands him the answer to his frustrations in this nice, neat visual package. But there's more to it. 
there's something interesting I want you to take note of. Go back to Genesis 15 and skip down to verse 12. 15 verse 12. Now when the sun was going down. Wasn't it supposed to be dark? Why does it say now when the sun was going down? Then verse 17. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark. Wasn't it supposed to be already dark? These are not different days. In the Hebrew, this is a continuous narrative. Many of us have assumed that it was nighttime when God took Abraham out and showed him the night sky. But as we read further, we realize that this is a wrong assumption to make. But why would God bring Abraham outside to look at the sky when it was daytime? If Abraham had been brought out at night to look at the stars, his answer would have been right in front of his eyes. But has anyone ever tried counting the stars during the daytime before? I don't think any of us have. But even though we haven't counted the stars, we know that they're still there. It's just the, the light of the sun which prevents them from being seen. Even though we can't see the stars, we know that they're there. And God is calling Abraham back to a position of trust. Although he can't see any children just yet, just as he can't see any stars, his descendants will come just as the stars will eventually come when the sun sets. Isn't that a beautiful response to Abraham's frustrations? He's calling him back to a position of trust, which isn't based on sight, but is based on faith. God is gentle with the sometimes impatient and complaining Abraham. And in the same way, he is also gentle with us when we lose our hope in moments of weakness and in moments of darkness. Even though you can't see the stars, trust that they are coming. This was a lesson for Abraham, and so he waited. Waiting is based on the promise of something better. And Hebrews 11 records what Abraham was waiting for. It reads, He waited for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker was God. Abraham was able to wait because God reminded him where to focus. He needed to have his eyes fixed on the future and not on his present circumstance. When we have the promise of something better, why would we trade it for anything less? You might have heard of the marshmallow experiment. It was an experiment conducted in the 1960s at Stanford University where four-year-old children were taken into a room by a researcher and the researcher gave them the instructions. I'm going to put a marshmallow on this plate and if you choose to eat it, you can. But if you wait until I leave and then come back, you will get a second marshmallow. So the kids had the choice, one marshmallow now or two marshmallows later. And if you watch the videos, you see the kids squirming and trying to do everything in their willpower to try and not eat this marshmallow. Some of them are smelling it, some of them are licking it, others just decided I'm going to eat it anyway. And some kids actually waited. And it's this instant gratification that these kids were trying to struggle with. It's a natural human tendency to seek pleasure 
and to avoid pain. Earlier this year, I went to one of my friend's weddings and we didn't have breakfast, we didn't have lunch, and it was a late afternoon wedding and we pretty much hadn't eaten all day and I was with a bunch of friends. And all of us are sitting there really hungry and it was in between the wedding and the reception, there was about a three-hour wait. And uh, we're driving towards the place where they were going to have the reception and we saw these big golden arches. And you see... I'm not the type of person to generally go to Maccas that often, but desperate times call for desperate measures. And being very, very hungry, I went in with my friends and we started ordering up. Um, and yeah, just ordered a selection of food and we were eating really full. And then by the time, about 30 minutes after, we had to go to this wedding reception and we got to the reception and it was a Samoan wedding and Samoans do really good food. And so by the time we got to the Samoan wedding, we really weren't hungry anymore because we had, we had filled ourselves. And we're just all there thinking, oh, we should have waited. We should have waited. We live in the microwave generation. In my mother's generation, she would be happy to go down to the store to buy some vegetables, to buy some rice noodles, to make up a, a nice dish. But now we don't have that luxury, or many of us don't want to do that anymore because we have things like two-minute noodles, migoreng. It's easy to do something quickly. And when we're anticipating something and it's taking too long, it's because our focus is too narrow. We're focusing on our present circumstance and on our present needs right then in that very moment. Our hope and our vision should be on his reality and not on our own. Right now, you're focused on your circumstance, your loneliness, your underwhelming career, your lack of opportunity. But God is saying, I have something better for you, something better for you that you're trying to get in your own strength, but that's not what I had in mind for you. I have something better if you're willing and able to wait. But more often than not, waiting is painful. It's not pleasant. It requires us to be patient. The root word of patience in Latin is pati, which actually means to suffer. And this is why patience is interchangeable with this word long-suffering. You see, when you're waiting, you're suffering. And there is no shortcut to patience and therefore no way to avoid suffering. Because while you wait, God is working, and he wants us to develop our patience. When you get into a waiting situation, God has you there because he wants to develop your character. God is asking us to believe his promise that he has something better for us. Often we want to take a shortcut because we want to avoid the pain of waiting. We want it now. We want it on our schedule. And this is exactly what happened to Abraham's wife, Sarah. Put yourself in her shoes for a moment. Ten years has passed since God gave her husband the promise. You'll be the father of many nations. You're going to have many descendants. Yet it has been ten long years and still there is nothing. In her desperation, she gives up. I've waited too long. Hagar, my young maidservant, 
Perhaps she can be the one who was able to bear a child for me. And Ishmael is born. But was Ishmael the promised one that God had in mind? He wasn't. Another 13 years passed before God finally told the 99-year-old Abraham and the 89-year-old Sarah that they would have a son. And a year later, Isaac was born. God's timetable is different to our own. Seven times he was promised, this will happen. It's going to happen. All this time, God has been reminding him, I have my timing. But it's been 25 years of waiting. Abraham is 99. Sarah is 89. Why did God make them wait so long? Because it was impossible for them to have children at their old age. God wanted to do something for them that they couldn't do by themselves. Sometimes in our haste to get things now, we rush into things, not realizing that in our haste to get things, we are often taking away God's miracle for our lives. Think of the story of Lazarus. God deliberately waited four full days to go and visit him. Why did he do that? because then no one could deny the miracle that he was the one who made it happen. God isn't going to accept our half-hearted solutions that we make for ourselves. He didn't accept Ishmael as the inheritor of his promise. But he wants us to wait on him so that he can work a miracle in our lives. God does his best when we're at our worst, when we feel as though our options run out. He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's been three weeks since I fell over on my skateboard and I'm happy to say that my wounds are healing, still healing, but it has taken a dose of patience. See, I want to I do things all the time, but I couldn't because I had to wait for them to get healed. And it's taught me patience. And patience causes us to suffer, but the waiting process develops faith. Waiting helps us depend on God rather than ourselves. In Psalms 37 verse 5, there is a beautiful promise, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And I love how this verse just refocuses us to be dependent on God. Commit your way, trust in him, and he's going to be the one who is able to do it. Waiting develops trust. It says, I don't understand why I can't have it, but I trust you. Waiting says, I don't know the when, but I know the who, and I trust him. Are you struggling? Perhaps you're waiting for him to work. You may not know the when, but you know the who. And so the question is, do you trust him? God is faithful to his promise. The stars exist even though you can't see them. Walk by faith, not by sight. Commit your way to the Lord and he shall bring it to pass.